This evening's scripture is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even tide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Good evening and welcome again to our worship. We're grateful for your presence and we trust that the time that we spend together tonight will be profitable and will encourage us in our walk with the Lord. We are thankful for the church here. We're grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts tonight and particularly we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4 and we will drop back and look at chapter 3 for just a moment or two but tonight I want us to talk about the theme building a strong church and really what we want to do is to examine some principles that will help us build a strong congregation when I think about the church I guess probably one of the greatest blessings that we have as Christians is to know that we belong to the body of Christ. And the birthplace of the church was the city of Jerusalem, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 2. When you begin to read the book of Acts, it becomes apparent that the church was a growing entity. As a matter of fact, it's amazing to note the fun phenomenal growth of the early church. And so tonight I want us to look at Acts chapter 4 and think for a moment or two about some of these principles that have been set forth for building a strong church. The first thing that we want to do by way of looking at Acts chapter 4 is to simply examine the text and then we want to make some application to our own lives. In looking at Acts chapter 4, the first thing that we see in verses 1 through 4 is that a disturbance arose not long after the church began on Pentecost Day. The Bible tells us in verse 1 that as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. As we think about this disturbance that arose in the first century, we find that it was primarily tied to the message that they were preaching. And one of the things that you will note as you go through the book of Acts is the numerous times the sacred writer alludes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of Christianity. I said this morning that Christianity basically stands or falls based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But these men were preaching the resurrected Christ. Now in verse 4 we find that the church was growing despite opposition. In verse 3 the Bible says that they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And then in verse 4, however, many of those who heard the word believed, 
and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, when we pick up in verse 5, we find the Jewish council basically deposing Peter and John. And the reason for their deposition was because of a miracle that had occurred outside of the temple. And so when, if you go back to chapter 3, you find that there had been a man that was lame that was sitting at the temple, and he was begging for alms. And Peter and John came upon him, and their response to him, silver and gold, we don't have any. But Peter said, what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the, the Bible tells us that this man stood up, went into the temple praising the Lord. And Luke tells us that the people were astonished at this great miracle. Now, picking up in verse 5 of Acts chapter 4, the council wanted to know, they wanted to interrogate Peter and John. They wanted to know by what power or by what name have you done this? That is, by what power, what name have you performed this great miracle? Well, the Bible says in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now in verse 13, based on this great miracle and based on the message that they had been preaching and all of the things that they had seen, in these men, the text tells us that they marveled. That is, the council, they marveled. They were astonished. Note, if you would, verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Why was that? Well, Luke said they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, in verses 15 through 18, we have the demand imposed on Peter and John. And basically, there is a mandate set down before these men. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 15. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And then verse 18, they called them, commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But if you look at verses 19 through 20, you'll find that these two apostles respond by way of their divine duty. And really what they're saying is, listen, we have a divine mission. And our mission compels us to reach out to those who are lost and dying in sin. So in verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. 
For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Verse 21, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So you have a great occurrence in the first century church. Now, we have said on numerous occasions that the miracles that were performed by the apostles and others were done so to confirm the word of God. In other words, the miracles authenticated the message. They gave credence to the divine word that they were preaching and teaching to those with whom they came in contact with. Well, what about the application that is before us as we look at Acts chapters 3 and 4? The first thing that I would submit unto you by way of application as we look to this text has to do with the faith of these men. Back in verse 2, these men were charged with preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at the lives of Peter and John and the other apostles, as well as many of the other first century saints, there was a deep-seated conviction about the Christ in their hearts. They truly believed that Jesus Christ was the means of salvation. And so as verse 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But as we think about their faith, let me suggest, first of all, that there is the cultivation of faith. We talk about building a strong church and principles that enable us to build a strong congregation. First of all, we have to have faith. There has to be the cultivation of faith. Now, we know today that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. Paul said we are to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5 at verse 7. But here were individuals that had deep-seated faith in the Lord. Why was that? Well, I think the answer is found in verse 13. Look again at verse 13. The text says that when the council saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Why? They realized that they had been with Jesus. Here were men that had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Christ. Yes, they had seen the great miracles that he had performed. They had watched as Jesus Christ did some amazing things. For example, the healing of the sick, the restoration of sight to the blind. We think about Jesus raising the dead, walking on water, calming the wind and the sea. All of these things authenticated the fact that he was the divine son of God. But they had been with Jesus. They had seen these great works and they had heard his marvelous words. Peter himself said in John chapter 6, after Jesus had declared himself to be the bread of life, the Bible says many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. But Jesus then said to the apostles, Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. 
They got to hear Jesus Christ teach and preach. They audibly heard his voice. They got to see firsthand his compassion, his love, his mercy. And so, yes, these men had been with Jesus. We talked today about cultivating our faith. And we said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. These men had great faith because they had been with Jesus Christ. Let me ask this question. How much time do you spend with Jesus? When people examine your life, when they look at how you conduct yourself in this community, on the job, in school, in your family, wherever it may be, when individuals look at your life, do they step back and respond by saying, he or she has been with Jesus? How is it that you and I can spend time with the Lord? There is no way that I can overemphasize to you the importance of reading and studying the Bible. If you want to know more about Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to spend more time reading about him in this book we call the Bible. When you spend time in this book, then you're going to become more and more acquainted with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And ultimately, as you read and study and meditate on his great truths, this word, this divine word, is going to sink down into the recesses of your heart and then produce fruit. It will ultimately bear fruit in the way that you live. And so, we think about the importance of spending time with Jesus. And I might just pause here and ask this question. Has Jesus Christ made a difference in your life? We talk about building a strong church. Principles for building a strong congregation. If the Lord has not made a difference in my life or in your life, it's going to be difficult for us to build a strong church. People have to see Christ living in us, as Paul said in Galatians 2 at verse 20. They have to see something genuine, something different about us. They have to see the Lord at work in our lives. I understand that we are human beings. The Bible says, speaking of God, he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we're dust. God knows us. But God gives us the ability to make choices in life. And we ultimately make choices as to whether or not we're going to follow closely in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 5, there's an interesting story told by Mark in which he relates the tragedy of a man that is possessed by numerous demons. We think of him as legion. Well, Jesus healed this man. He cast the demons out of this man into a herd of swine. But in verse 17, Jesus made a very interesting statement to him. He said, go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. 
We talk about building a strong church. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of important principles involved in the building of a strong congregation. But let me tell you one thing that you and I, we need to make sure that we do not miss. If the Lord has made a difference in our lives, and if he is truly at work in us, then we need to be, as I said this morning, a walking billboard for the Lord and for his cause. Coca-Cola and Pepsi spend a lot of money on advertising, and advertising is a very important tool in the selling of products and goods. But you know one of the best forms of advertisement is word of mouth. The best thing, one of the best things you can do for this church is talk to other people about the Lord. And not just about the Lord, but you talk to them about what a great congregation you belong to. You tell them that you belong to a church that loves the Lord, that loves one another. That we are a body of believers that are trying to the best of our ability to live faithfully to the Lord. Word of mouth. I can promise you one thing. When people begin to talk, it spreads like wildfire. Solomon said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now you and I, we can use our tongue, negatively speaking, but we can also use it to the good and glory of God. So I think about how you and I, we have the opportunity to speak a good word for the Lord to our friends and neighbors. And so as we think about faith and the cultivation of faith, I would also suggest that there has to be care given to our faith. And by this I simply mean there has to be the preservation of our faith, the protection of our faith. In Luke 18, verse 8, there's an interesting question posed by the Lord. He talks about when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There are a lot of things that work against us as New Testament Christians. We live in a world that is subjected to our adversary, the devil. And the devil wants to do everything that he can to subvert our Christianity, to discourage those of us who are trying to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And so what we have to do is, is exercise great care with regard to our faith. That's why I said a moment ago, I cannot overemphasize the importance of spending time in the Word of God. Read and study the Word of God day and night. Make plans to be in worship each and every time the doors are open. These are things that will ultimately build your faith. It will help you preserve and protect your faith in the Lord. My goal would be to see individuals who are members of the body of Christ view the work and worship of Almighty God as something they long to do, they aspire to do, they want to do, and not something they have to do. I understand that Christianity is a growing process, and it might be that when we begin our Christian life, 
that there is this sense in which we struggle with reading and studying the Word of God, coming to worship regularly, working in the kingdom of God. And maybe we view it as a have-to situation. Don't get me wrong, we have to do these things. But wouldn't it be great if all of us desired to do it? We want to do it because we love the Lord. So first of all, there was great faith in the lives of these people. But then secondly, we find that they were people of fortitude. When I think about their fortitude, all I have to do is read verses 18 through 20. These men, these early disciples, were people of conviction and courage. They were threatened. As a matter of fact, when you look at the early church, not only were they threatened verbally, but many times they were physically abused. The Bible says that these men, Peter and John, were commanded not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And that's when Peter and John said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Do you have that kind of conviction? How deep does your conviction in the Lord run? I would hope and pray that all of us are moving to a point, spiritually speaking, where our Christianity is literally bubbling over. And the idea here is that we have the greatest message known to man. We have been liberated from sin and unrighteousness and we cannot but speak the things that we have come to know and treasure in the Word of God. These guys were people of fortitude. And I think the church of our Lord today needs fortitude. But there is a third principle that we find in our lesson text. This has to do with their fervency. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12 and about verse 11, not lagging in spirit, but rather being fervent in spirit. What do you think of when somebody mentions the word fervor or fervency? What about the word zeal? These people, these guys, were zealous for the cause of Jesus Christ. Were they men of conviction? Absolutely. Were they people of courage? You better know it. But they were people who were fervent in the Lord's work. Look at verse, drop down if you would to verse 27. If you look at verse 23, after having been let go, they went back to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. But down in verse 27, we find a commentary on the actions of these men. And I really believe that it's somewhat of a template for us today as members of the body of Christ. We talk about building a strong church and principles that enable us to be what God would have us to be. There has to be great faith. There has to be fortitude, but there also has to be fervency. Look at what they did. Beginning in verse 27, For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both 
Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, they were people of prayer. You want to build a strong church, you want this congregation to be what God would have it to be, we have to be people of prayer. We have to be on our knees praying to Jehovah God for one another each and every day. For whom should we pray? I would encourage you pray for the elders of this church every day. Pray for their wives. Pray that God will bless them with wisdom. I am grateful for the elders that we have here. I'm thankful for their great example, for their influence, for their foresight. But if you want this church to truly be what God would have it to be, pray for these men every day. Pray for Scotty, who serves as our deacon. And you know, at some point in time, it may be the case that the elders will decide to appoint more deacons. Be praying that God might be able to use you in this capacity. If you meet the qualifications set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Pray for this church. Pray for each and every member in this congregation. We talk about praying for the sick, and we need to pray for the sick. We should. It's a, it is a tremendous privilege for us to approach the throne of God on behalf of those who are sick and shut in. But we need to be praying for our young people. Praying for our young families. Praying for every member. And the reason is simple. We live in the midst of a battlefield. The world is our battlefield. This is a haven of rest. This is a haven of refuge. And you and I as God's people, we have the opportunity to pray for every person. And please, pray for me and for my family. We need your prayers. We need your prayers on a regular basis as well. But that's what, that's what these brethren did. They were people of prayer. Jesus said, remember these, these men had been with Jesus. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 18, 1. Men ought always to pray and not faint. You want to stay strong in the Lord Jesus Christ? You want to be faithful to his cause? Then stay on your knees praying to Jehovah God day and night. But then also note, in verse 31, having prayed, the Bible says, they spoke the word of God with all boldness. So not only were they people of prayer, but they were people who were willing to preach the word. What do we need to do today? We've got to keep preaching. We have to keep teaching. The power is not in the messenger, it is in the message. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1, verse 16. The word of God is living and active and sharper than in a two-edged sword, according to Hebrews chapter 4, at verse 12. 
And so we, we keep preaching, we keep teaching. We do so in kindness, with love, but also in boldness. Because Paul said we are to preach the word in season and out of season. As Marshall Keeble once said, we preach it when people like it and when they don't like it. But we have to keep preaching. We have to keep teaching. Because you see, when people hear the word of God as it is proclaimed in boldness and kindness, then if that word falls on good and honest hearts, it yields fruit. Another principle. And that is, I believe that these early saints were people of persuasion. If you back up and look at verse 4, the Bible says that those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us that with many other words did Peter testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We have to plead with people. We have to seek to persuade people to live for the Lord. That's what we're all about. I think about the church here. The church is a hospital. And the last time I looked, hospitals were for sick people. And guess what? There are a lot of sick people in this community. They're not physically sick, but they are spiritually sick. And we can help them. And so we pray for them. We preach and teach to them. We plead with them. And then finally, let me just close by saying this. We do everything in our power to promote the church of Christ. The church belongs to Christ. Jesus is the one that built it. He purchased it with his own blood, Acts 20, verse 28. And the early church... They exalted this great institution. I really believe that you and I, as members of the body of Christ, we need to be proud that we are members of the church. Not in a negative way, but in a healthy, wholesome way. I mean, you and I, we belong to the Lord. We have been set apart unto God. We are, as Peter said, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, whom he has called forth out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are the people of God, and we have the opportunity to exalt the name of Christ and the church of Christ in this community. Jesus said that we are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. The church here can make a great impact on this community. I'm sold on the work here. I hope you are. I believe with all of my heart this congregation of God's people can do great things. We're seeing great things taking place right now. Now, what you have to understand is we're just getting started. We're not through. We're just now getting the ball rolling. It's like when you play football. There are four quarters. Or baseball, there are nine innings. You might get ahead. You might drop back. You might get ahead. You might drop back. But guess what? You've got to stay 
the course. I had a boss one time, actually he owned the company that I had the opportunity to work for. He was very successful. Whenever problems arose with our customers, in order to satisfy the customer, his response was this, do whatever it takes, we're in it for the long haul. And the point that I want to borrow from that statement is this, we are in it for the long haul. What we have to do is see the big picture. We have to understand that we are co-laborers together. And that as we join hands and work together, we can build a strong church to the glory of Almighty God. But we have to stay grounded. We have to stay rooted in His Word. If we stay grounded to the Lord and we stay close to the Lord, guess what? God will be glorified. And one day you and I will be together in heaven. And there will be people who will be in heaven with us because of your influence. That's a great thing. To think that there will one day be people in heaven that you influence to be there. I mean, that's something to be thankful for. And so tonight, building a strong church. My encouragement to us, let's build a strong church. Let's be what God would have us to be. I'm grateful for the history of the church here. I'm grateful for all of the good things that have taken place. But what I see before me, literally, a sea of opportunities. We just have to seize them. If you're here tonight, you're not a member of the Lord's church, I plead to you, come to Christ. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, verse 10, do you have an abundant life? Is your life rooted in Christ Jesus? If not, we encourage you to come to Him. Believe in Him, that He is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Acts 8, verse 37. Be baptized and enjoy salvation, Mark 16, 16. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, why not come home tonight? Why not let us pray with you and for you? And let's join hands together and work for the glory of God. The Bible says confess your sins one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you tonight as we stand and sing.